Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Kane Nixon, 20 years of career and volunteer experience, currently a deputy chief with the Arizona Fire Medical Authority in Arizona. Chief Nixon noticed a shortcoming within fire departments around the country and started the I Care movement, which emphasizes a journey of transformation and empowerment, a new era of leadership that begins with caring for ourselves, our people, and our communities. When you listen to Chief Nixon speak, you could tell he hasn't forgotten his roots and truly cares and wants the best out of the men and women of his department and departments around the country. With that, I present Mr. Kane Nixon. Okay. So, uh, yeah, my name is Kane Nixon, and uh, I got into the fire service in about 2000 and uh, officially uh, in a career position in 2004. Uh, I actually have kind of a, a little bit of a story behind it, if uh, if you got a second here. For definitely. That. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so um, it, it's... It's interesting. So when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. I wanted to uh, do something uh, unique, but something that I where I could really connect with people and and care for someone and care for people. And I felt like medicine was going to be the way to do that. So I think I was I was 15 years old and uh, got my CPR first responder, you know, first aid certification and it was, you know, like a weekend class from the Red Cross or something in Colorado. <laughs> okay. And uh, so <clears throat> I I felt like I had accomplished something, right? I'm on my way to medical school, right? And then uh, uh, there was an a-, a car accident behind my house, my where I was growing up. My house actually backed up to um, a uh, a rural highway, and it was uh, you know midday. And I just hear the tire screech and a, a loud boom. Mm-hmm. So I, I jump up, go to my back door, uh, and I could see over my back fence because our backyard sloped down. And I could see this four-door sedan head uh, totally wrapped around a really large oak tree on the shoulder. And uh, so I you know didn't think anything of it. I just I ran through my yard, jumped over my fence, and uh, was running up to the car and a car behind that car had stopped. There wasn't a lot of traffic on that road. So uh, this, you know, I'm 15 years old and this guy, you know, full grown adult mm-hmm. gets out of his car and he's jogging up to the car too. And it's, it's funny because in that class, they, they tell you the first thing you do is say, I'm CPR certified. Can I help? Right. <laughs> and and I, I didn't miss a beat. Right. I, I, I yelled it out and he goes, yeah, what do we do? And uh, I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> so so uh, it looked like we had two female patients, driver and passenger, uh, heavy damage, drivers unresponsive at the wheel. Passenger door had actually opened up and the that passenger was half out of the vehicle. She was altered. Um, so I said, you know, go check her, um, you know lay her down, you know, and talking about, you know, C-spine and stuff like that. Very, mm-hmm. very li- little understanding of what I was actually doing or saying. 
Um, the driver was unresponsive. And so I went around, other cars are starting to stop. People are starting to kind of make their way over. I was going around the back of the car and I saw a, uh, everything that was in the trunk was now in the back seat, right? Okay. Everything that was in the, where the back seat should have been is now the front seat, right? So um, pretty heavy damage. As I was going around the back of the vehicle, I saw a shoe up in the back window. And I thought that's a weird place for a shoe to be. And then I saw that it was actually a leg. It was someone was in the back seat. So I got around and I was able to get the back passenger door open. And there was a person, uh, uh, a male patient was in the back and he had actually kind of taken a header into the floorboard and back of the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. So I kind of crawled in over all of the, the stuff that was in the trunk that was now on top of him, moving stuff away. He had uh, some pretty substantial injuries and he was bleeding. And so I'm trying to hold, he's kind of starting to move and uh, regain consciousness. So I, I'm trying to hold his neck and I can hear the passengers now speaking in Spanish. And <clears throat> I uh, then, so this, the male patient that I'm with is, coming to and he's starting to speak in Spanish and I'm in like I'm I'm a 15 year old high school student right right and I'm in like Spanish one right so okay I don't know Spanish and so I'm holding his neck and jaw trying to keep him still he wakes up and becomes combative and I'm yelling uh no moesa no moesa which doesn't mean anything in Spanish <laughs> okay no mueva means don't move right hold still oh. don't move okay and uh but i was doing my best right and right. so right at that time a uh, uh an officer had made it onto the scene kind of comes up behind me and he's like hey what do you uh what do you have and i'm you know i'm trying to give a report to a you know a police officer and it, it was pure chaos danny pure chaos and I'm realizing like, why did I jump over that fence? Like this was a bad decision. I, you know, I'm, I'm not where I should be. This is not, uh, it's out of my control. So I, I'm really going through those emotions of like, this is, this is chaos. This is, you know, very scary. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you know, all of mm -hmm. the emotions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I'm, it's, it, it sounds like a cliche story, but I can literally hear the cue siren um, maybe half a mile away or, you know, a little farther. I can hear it in the distance. I can hear the cue siren winding up through an intersection. And I look through the back window up the road and I can see red and blue flashing lights. Okay. And it was the most, um, it, it was the most calming moment it, it, because you go from chaos to, okay, it's, it's okay everything's going to be okay. So, because they were coming, right. And it was, uh, it was an intense emotion shift. And sure enough, you know, the crew gets on scene, two trucks, uh, a command unit, an ambulance, and, and then uh, uh, a truck. And in that community, it was a volunteer crew that was just happened to be there okay. uh, at the, at the station. So they had a pretty good response time. And, uh, you know, they just got out of the truck and walked up and they're like, hey, man, we got to get out of here. And I was like, OK, thanks. And I'm like backing away. And uh, it was incredible. 
I, I was, uh, I was seeing it, you know, live firsthand that these guys, this is nothing to them. They're, they're just coming in and taking care of business. And it was like, man, that's, that's huge. You want to talk about connecting with somebody and, and making a difference. Those guys do it. So, uh, I mean, in the moment right then it was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. So, uh, 15 years old, I made the, the decision. I'm, you know, medical school's out. Uh, I'm going to be a firefighter. Okay. And, uh, so I, yeah, I, I went all in. I, I jumped into an explorer program because, you know, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then um, my sophomore year in high school, I hooked up with the Loveland Fire Department, Fire Rescue Department in Colorado. They had a student firefighter program. So I jumped into that. It was like a student volunteer firefighter. You train with the crews, you run calls. You're not an interior firefighter, but you, uh, you're, you're training and you're learning the job. Um, they have a rank structure within that. It was, it was fantastic. It, and it's a feeder program to their volunteer firefighters Okay. right out of high school. So that was a, a brand new program when I got into it and it's evolved and it's a very successful program today. And then right my senior year of high school, I was testing for fire departments and I got picked up in Vail and I was a Vail firefighter, um, before moving to Arizona. So it's, it's, you know, I, I tell that story because that was my moment, right? Some people right. have a moment, some people don't, but right. it was, I can pinpoint it down to the second when I made that decision. Um, you know, and it's, I also joke around a lot because um, I I did want to be a doctor and I talked myself out of it because I was like, well, I don't want to be in my thirties, still in school, in a bunch of debt, you know, to be a doctor. And then uh, later in life, I continued on with my education in my thirties <laughs> to be a doctor, right. And pay right. for it. So right. it's, uh, it's kind of funny, full circle ended up doing it all, but that's yes. how I got into the fire service. I, I was a veil firefighter. Um, and then I came to Arizona. Uh, I was, I fell in love with the, the Phoenix automatic aid system and everything that it, it, that it has and that it stands for. And I, I just jumped into that in 2006. So it's been uh, 17 years. Okay. All right. So you are currently a deputy chief of Arizona Fire and Medical Authority. For those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about your organization, the size, uh, yeah. r- r- you know, run call, uh, your your call volume, things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Arizona Fire and Medical Authority, we're in Maricopa County in Arizona. We, when I got to Arizona, uh, it was during, you know, the boom, there was a lot of departments testing and hiring. It was a good time to, to be in a process. So I, uh, I applied and and got hired with, it's a, it was the Sun City West Fire District. It's a, a suburb a community outside of uh, Phoenix, the Phoenix metro area. And then over time, that fire district grew through annexations and growth and became the North County Fire and Medical District uh, when it combined with another district. Okay. And then over the last, um, see, I'd say six years, seven years, we've continued to grow and merge and consolidate other fire districts. We Today, we have had five total fire districts come together and okay. create this fire authority. So it's not uh, common uh, definitely not common in Arizona. I think we're the second fire authority in the state. 
um, but the the only fire authority in Maricopa County. But uh, we have 12 fire stations, uh, about 300 members. Uh, within those 12 stations, we have, uh, let's see, 11 fire companies. We have a ladder company, 10 engines, uh, three command officers, and, you know, BC rides. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then we have, we provide our own ambulance service as well. So we okay. have uh, anywhere between 15 and 17 ambulances on the road a day. Uh, depending on peak time units that are up or not. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty substantial operation in our system, in the, in the Phoenix system, it's, I'd say it's like a, a medium sized apartment, oh, you know, right. Because it's a, we're a pretty big, uh, we're part of a pretty big operation and system within the Phoenix automatic aid system. So, okay. Um, yeah, so we have 300, a little more than 300 employees total. That's that's all encompassing. We're right around 260 are our responders, and uh, yeah, so we're we cover. I think it's around 400 square miles, and it's wow. anything from like very urban, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, I should say suburban retirement communities. You know where you got a fire hydrant every 500 feet, right? To you know to areas of, of the county that are your next due companies 20 minutes away. So we, we kind of have everything, which is uh, good for our folks. They get a lot of variety. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, how does the process, because one thing that, that intrigued me is you said that you took, uh, you, you guys consolidated different areas, uh, different jurisdiction of fire departments. How, mm -hmm. how does that work where, um, like, let's just say I, I am a fire district and mm -hmm. you're coming into my area to, to take over or quote unquote take over. Uh, if you have certain chief officers in that position, like how does that, you know what I mean? Like, do you absorb yeah. them or like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, just always a, not. Yeah. So that's a great question. So, um, so a few, few uh, a few really important points first is we, uh, we have a very strong and successful labor management relationship okay. and that's where it starts for us so um we are not interested or or in the business of of taking you know anything over we we want to make sure that we can provide all of us you know in our system are providing great customer service to the the people who call us you know mm -hmm. um now fire districts in our state have a restricted funding so when you have two fire districts sitting right next to each other and they're, you know, they're both doing very similar things and operating very, uh, very much in the same way, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep them separate. When, if you combine them, you can save on, you know, all of our logistics costs from equipment, ordering apparatus to personnel, you know, you, you put two 100 person districts together now your health insurance goes down because now you're a 200 member organization right so okay but first things first it starts with the the labor groups and they um they come together they communicate and uh and figure out if it's something that they're interested in doing and then from there uh the other two legs of that three-legged stool are our management teams the the chief officers and then the uh, elected officials 
because every district has its own governing board. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, if the management teams can come together and see that it makes sense, the elected officials are interested in combining, then we move forward. That's all done through a feasibility study. We have a third party, you know, unbiased group take a look at these things and they're looking at the not so much the operations that that is a part of it, but really the financial and fiscal uh, implications down the road. But but it's uh, it's interesting. So we have four pillars that we are dedicated to anytime we're bringing departments together. And one is nobody loses their rank. So okay. if you're a captain, you're a captain. Uh, we're, that's a, a huge benefit to us because we're part of the Phoenix Auto Aid system. So we're all trained to the same level. Okay. And it's not, uh, not, and I mean that today because right now we're we're in one geographic area as far as the county goes. So there's there's just an expectation of training that's already met. So uh, it's also going to be counterproductive if you try to uh, bring two groups together and go, oh, but you aren't good enough. You're going to go back to firefighter. That captain, engineer, or whatever the rank is, is going to, that, that's just not right. To do okay. That. So okay. we, uh, in the past, we, we have had some um, like processes where we go, hey, we're just, we're just going to all get together and go through captain's training and make sure things are where it should be Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's you know understandable but uh so nobody loses their rank uh nobody loses seniority if you're a 10 year you know 10 15 20 year employee you are that you just come straight across so um it's about taking care of each other right more than it is taking one taking over another that's not what it's about so okay um, and then the other two are, you know, pay. We we are committed to not, you know, uh, messing with people's pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so financially, we want to make sure that no one loses pay or benefits. Um, now, that doesn't mean that sometimes the benefit package has to be modified because you're taking one workforce into the other. But um, so sometimes there are a few like very minor changes. I can't say holistically hundred percent of the time, all the benefits remained because the benefit packages change from department to department, but, right. but the intent of the benefit has always remained the same. Nobody loses, you know, the, the substance of their benefits. So okay, it's uh yeah, man, it's, we're getting into some really probably. Boring no, 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 no. It's, I, 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 it's, I love hearing it. Yeah. Yeah, so we're it's unique, and to Arizona, it's it's really new. You know, there's some like California, Cal, uh, Colorado, Utah, um, you know, other parts around the country too that that fire authorities are very common. Um, you look at you know California has got entire counties that are countywide fire departments that have mm-hmm. you know 27 agencies, districts, mm-hmm. and cities all participating. So. You know, I, I'm not saying that's the direction we're going, but all we're trying to do is make sure that, you know, firefighters have stable jobs and uh, sufficient pay and they can provide for their families and we can all provide for our communities. So that's that's our goal. Uh, awesome goal. Uh, very yeah. well said. Like I said, no, it's not boring. I love hearing how how it works, because I look at it in a sense of, you know, you hear so many times of there's 
different areas and jurisdiction in this country where fire department A, fire department B is just down the street. They get a call. Fire department B, or if if the call is in the jurisdiction, the neighboring yeah. jurisdiction, they're not dispatched. So fire department B drives by fire, you know, fire department A's jurisdiction waving, and they're just sitting mm-hmm. on the front pad, and it's like. That's not accomplishing yeah. anything. So I love hearing yeah. how you guys absorbed everybody in. Yeah. And so it's for us, it's it's interesting, too, because we're not always like not all of our jurisdictions are contiguous. They're not really touching. But, uh, you know, that's one of the benefits to being part of the automatic aid system here in, in the Phoenix metro area mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's it's a very. It's a great system that that we don't have jurisdictional boundaries anyways okay. because of our, our dispatch system. So we're all trained to the, to one level. We all go to the uh, same academies. Okay. Uh, we have four regional academies that train hundreds and hundreds of firefighters every year. And, but it, the standard is all the same. The, the order model and communication is all the exact same. And I'm talking across 26, 27 different agencies and and millions of citizens and residents so the for us to go you know 30 miles in any direction it running the call is going to be the exact same and and it which is very unique and different so what we're doing as far as bringing districts together and, and even municipalities can be part of this fire authority um it kind of just makes sense because like we don't have to retrain anybody. We don't have to, I, everything's already in place. The difference really is just the shirts. So, okay. I mean, and I'm oversimplifying a very complicated process, but, but it's already, you know, three quarters of the way there. We just got to get it across the, you know, the, the goal line. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One quick question. Do you okay. know if Phoenix still operates blue card? So, um, blue card came out of Phoenix, mm-hmm. right. With chief Brunacini and, uh, and his, uh, his sons, the, uh, the Phoenix fire volume two and, uh, incident management structure. Okay. Is blue card. So the Phoenix fire department, I don't believe has a requirement for the blue card training, but that's because that is what they do. Okay. If that makes sense, right? So yeah. the way that they structure their their communications command and order model mm-hmm. is the blue card model. Mm-hmm. So um, I know some of the departments in the valley are blue card and some aren't, but it really that's just a training program for them to verify, uh, you know, the okay. the standard. Okay. But um, yeah, I. I don't think that the Phoenix fire department requires a blue card, but it's great training, you know, and if you're, if you as an organization, the fire department says, this is our standard, then it's a a very effective program to put your people through. Is that what you guys use? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I just wanted to know if, if, if Phoenix actually uses or if areas around Phoenix still use that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, that is our order model and, and structure of command or incident management. So the uh, there are some departments that do require it because okay. it's an effective training program. Okay. Um, but yeah, good, good right. question. Okay. All right. 
Uh, enough of what you would call the nerdy talk. So <laughs> next question for you is yeah. what does the term aggressive in your opinion mean to you? Yeah, I love this question. <clears throat> um, the, and I, you know, I've, I've listened to other, uh, podcasts that you've done, you know, other interviews and I'm always interested. I liked some of the answers that I heard, uh, on the, one of the last ones that you had posted, but, um, for me, you know, aggressive, it sounds negative because, you know, we use it in that way. A lot of the times it's, mm -hmm. it's, it just has this kind of shadow over it, like mm -hmm. a negative connotation. But uh, for me, when I apply it to what we do and how we operate, it's, it means intensity, but, but more than that, it's intention. So when I think about what we do in the fire service, you know, and how we operate aggressively, it is very intentional. And it's not just intentional. Like I can be intentional about making a meal. I can be intentional about driving to my house, but um, aggressiveness is very intense intentionality. I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but you know, when I think about, you know, uh, a, a race car driver, you know, a hundred uh, driving a hundred uh, miles an hour, one little mistake can, can end it all. Right. Like right. if, if you have a race car driver going around a track, they have to be incre intensely intentional about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do um, with our training, with our operations, you know, every word really does matter. Every movement really does matter. You know, it might shave off one second here, one second there. Every single thing we do when we're in full operation mode is important. And uh, so it's when I hear aggressive uh, in the fire service, it's to me, it, it means being intensely intentional with what you do so okay. uh i gave a keynote <clears throat> a few years ago at uh arizona state fire school and i at, as i was wrapping it up i said this to the to the crowd and it's all of the students and participants are there and then all the instructors are there and i said you know be aggressive with your career be and i i called out the instructors i said if you're here to teach you need to teach aggressively while you're here. If you're here to learn, you need to learn aggressively while you're here and then take this back, take this experience back because you can sit through a class, you can sit through a, a training module, you can do live fire training and just go through the motions or you can practice how you play. You can put things um, you know, in and, and see if they work, but it's... Uh, for the fire service to be aggressive, I don't think that's a negative thing at all. I love that we're aggressive. Right. Uh, I love that we are intense and we're intentional with everything we do. Okay. I like the answer. I like the answer for sure. Yeah. Um, do you believe, in your opinion, should there be a service clause for promotion? So like a years of service? <laughs> yes. So okay. uh, like... Like I can't just 
if I if I entered your department as a firefighter, uh, the next time, let's just say that year, your promotional testing comes up, mm-hmm. I'm allowed to take it. Yeah. So, so my answer to that question is yes, but okay. So the, <laughs> uh, here's why the I think it's important to create standards and and have expectations for uh all of our positions that's i mean we have that standard for firefighter we have that standard for engineer captain battalion chief um if a years of service if there is a years of service requirement i i'm not opposed to that i think it needs to be realistic based on the job function Mm -hmm. and the expectation of knowledge but if that's the only thing then then it's a it's it's a waste. I think you need to have other metrics included, other requirements and expectations because, and I've, I've heard this before, I've said this a lot too, but doing 20 things, I'm sorry, doing, uh, you know, 20 years and, but doing the same thing right. is, is, uh, is doing nothing. I mean, right. you might be an expert at that one thing, which it, then you're an expert at that one thing, but as you move up through the ranks, you have to have a very diverse knowledge base and understanding of everything that's going on around you, everything that's going on in the fire department, uh, what's happening in your community. So the expectation should be not just that you have, you know, for our department, it's three years for engineer and it's five years for captain. And after that, it's two years as a captain to get to BC. So for some departments, that they would say that is way too low you know three years for engineer what what does a a firefighter know after three years well i I don't know let's ask them let's evaluate them and then what standards go along with that three years to be an engineer for us it's an acting engineer task book which takes a lot of effort and energy to accomplish we have community college class requirements in there which takes time to do Mm -hmm. so we have other metrics that we build into those uh standards to make sure that one it's not just time uh because time does not equal experience um but it's it's a thorough you know expectation for that position the like i was i was saying doing you know one thing for 20 years is not great experience Here's the other thing. Doing 20 things in one year is a ton of experiences, but doing 20 things in one year, you're, you're probably not great at any of that. Uh-huh. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, being diverse in your knowledge and, and experiences is important. Um, and being good at a lot of what you do takes time and energy. So um, I'm okay with having a years of service standard, but in our fire authority, we, we have a lot of other metrics that we include with that. So, um, and I'm one of the folks that benefited from being able to test for engineer at three years and being able to test for captain at five years. But I, you know, I did a lot of other things during that time. I was, you know, heavily involved in the department, our charities, our community. Uh, You know, I was learning that next rank the whole time. So when the opportunity came, I was ready. Okay. That's what we expect from our people, you know? Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, 
a personal question. How did you or what triggered you to go, you know what? All right. You, you came in that department as a firefighter. I'm ready to go to this rank. I'm ready to go. Uh, I just like hearing different different people's reasonings of why they decided to promote. Yeah. I mean, and you are you're promoted all the way up to deputy chief. So sure. is, 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 has, have you reached your ceiling or is the end goal to be a fire chief somewhere? So, yeah, there's uh, those are all good questions. Um, let me I'll start with the last part of it. The where I'm at right now, I, I'm happy. I love doing my job. I'm uh, part of a really good team and part of an amazing department and group of people. So um, I'm I'm just fortunate to be in a position where I feel like I can make an impact. And uh, I want to do that as long as I can. And if there's opportunities to continue that that upward movement, that's fine. Um, my goal is not to uh, obtain a rank necessarily. It's just to be part of the leadership team and and continue to move, you know, the mission forward. So um, I don't want to say I'll never be a fire chief because I've got a long career ahead of me. You know, I plan to work for 20 more years. So okay. if that happens, that's that's fine. Um, I, my goal, though, is to just, like I said, make an impact and, and uh, connect with people as much as I can. So now to go back to your uh, first question, the what really motivated me to um, to promote is probably my, you know, inability to sit still, right? Like I, okay. I, uh, I, when I got to Arizona, <clears throat> I had years of experience already under my belt. So, uh, a lot of knowledge and it, and a different type of knowledge coming from a different system, different structure. Um, and I think it benefited me. So when I got here, you know, my, my three years with this department, was also supplemented with a lot of other time and, and experience so that it gave me an advantage. But really, and I've heard this before where people say, you know, I, do you ever fight enough fire to be a, per, a great firefighter? I don't know, like right. pro probably not depending on where you're at and mm -hmm. what you do. But if you're only relying on the the call that you go on to give you knowledge and experience, you're doing it wrong because you should be getting all of your knowledge and experience experiences preparing for the call. You know what I mean? Like you're that's what I compare a lot of what we do to like professional athletics. Like, you know, that's like saying that you're not a great football player because you don't have, you know, 10 Super Bowl rings. Well, like there's a lot of things that go into that, right? Mm -hmm. But you're a great football player because you're in the NFL. You're a great football player because you've worked for years and practiced and watched your game film and watched your diet and worked out and you're dedicated to the craft, right? Like you say, student of the game. Like that's when you, that's what makes you good. Mm -hmm. So, or great. Um, so I don't know if going to, you know, a hundred structure fires is enough. I also know that, you know, every structure fire is different. So like right. what, when, when is enough enough? I, I don't know. It, I think it has a lot more to do with like, what do you want out of your career? Uh, which I stress to a lot of people, um, they get pressure 
when they're, you know, five years on and they want to go to that next level and people around them are telling them, slow down, you need to take your time. And, you know, you, you haven't been here long enough. I don't, I don't like that kind of interaction. I think we need to be supporting each other. Okay. And if you really think that, give them the why, like, Hey man, dude, I don't think you have enough experience because of these things. Let's get you where you need to be. So you are ready. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's a much different conversation. Um, for me going from firefighter to engineer, it was, I just wanted the next challenge. Like I, I like to challenge myself. I like to, I'm a, I, if I'm not pursuing something, uh, I'm going to go crazy. Like I have to be busy. I have to be doing something and making myself better. So uh, as a firefighter, I did a lot of, of things for the department and the community. Um, and then it was like, okay, I want to go into engineering. I want to, I want to pump, you know, the truck. And it wasn't like, I want to be an engineer for the rest of my career, but I want to, as a captain, I want to thoroughly understand what it means to be in that role and do that job. Uh, cause I think that's a good idea okay. to, to know all of the, you know, positions on the truck when you're going up as a leader, mm-hmm. same thing as a captain. It was, I wanted to, um, challenge myself. I wanted to be the best firefighter I could. And that doesn't have anything to do with me being in the back seat versus the front seat. I just, I'm better every time I, you know, go through one of those processes and grow. So then going to chief, um, for me, it started to shift. My philosophy started to shift around leadership and understanding that, you know, we need um, we need good progressive thinkers and, and leaders in the fire service. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to do everything I could for my, you know, the people I work with and uh, right. be the leader that I think they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I put myself in those positions to train for that it took took years and got got ready and performed in the the process and I promoted uh, um promoted up to that chief rank and so now as a deputy chief I'm uh I'm not in the field anymore well right now I'm assigned in our headquarters office but um I'm, I'm still doing things that impact the department and right. uh, so and the community which is to me what it's all about is having that impact Okay. All right. Uh, do you miss the truck just a little bit? So much. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll tell you. So here's the thing too. Um, when I was 28, I was a firefighter testing. I was getting ready to take the captain's test. Um, I was, uh, I was a acting engineer at the time, uh, as well, but I, uh, I had to have a, uh, laminectomy at L4, L5 and L5S1. So my, I had two really severely herniated discs. I went through PT, you know, epidural injections. I I went through everything to try to get the injury taken care of. And it got to the point where I had to have surgery. So uh, 28 years old, uh, married, two kids, you know, I got a a five-year-old, six-month-old and a six-year-old at the time, actually. And uh, the physician I told this story on um, another podcast I did, but the physician, the surgeon was like, oh, you're a firefighter. Hmm. And like, that was a problem. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, can we talk about that? And this is literally three days before I was going in for surgery. Okay. He goes, well, 
like, uh, yeah, it's a tough job, man. Like that's really physical and you got a bad back. Like, do you have a college education? And I said, I have two associates degrees. Next question. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> and uh, he, he's like, no, like, do you have a four-year degree? Like, what are you going to do if this doesn't go well, essentially? And I said, no. And I, for me at that time, I was like, man, I've been doing this since I was 16. Like, uh -huh. this is what I'm made for this job. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, yeah, man, you need to go back to school like this. You might not be a firefighter for for much longer or at least, you know, forever. So um, that was a real shot to the gut for me. But, you know, I listen and. Uh, so I went back, finished my bachelor's degree. That took me two years to do. Um, I was a captain at the time, had a conversation with my wife and it was, I realized kind of stepping back and growing up, like, you know, I got, I have some very real responsibilities with my family and with this career. If, uh, if I want to make this a long career, it's going to be hard to do in the backseat, especially after a back surgery. So, I uh, I went right into my master's degree because I knew it was going to give me uh, opportunities to promote internally, but also opportunities outside of the fire service if that was my destiny. And uh, and then I finished my master's degree and it was like, man, I'm I'm actually really liking this like lifelong learner. And like I told you, I, I need to be challenged. Okay, I, I have to be chasing something. And okay. it was, so for me, that doctorate was that next level. And uh, so I went after it to to see if I could do it. And uh, okay. so the then I had to have a second back surgery. Actually, I have a spinal fusion um, that was in 2022 um, because, you know, bad bad back is, is hard to get over. So right. um, where I'm at now, I'm in uh, I'm not in the field, but man, I miss it. Like you said, I, it's uh that nothing beats uh, being on a, a truck with the the men and women that we have. Right. It's uh, it is the best job there is for sure. Okay. All right. I love it. Love the answers. Yeah. Love the answers. Uh, for promotion to company officer, are you in yeah. favor for a simulated computer fire scenario or a scenario involving real people and companies uh, where you're graded in real time? Yeah. So. I'm going to give you, I'm going to skirt your question again. It's a yes, but again, so mm -hmm. we have both where I work. So we do, um, you know, all of our engineer testing is, is live. You can't really simulate that stuff. It's right. You know, right. being a, a driver operator pumper, you have to do those things. Uh, in our company officer promotions, we do, um, we do have simulated scenarios okay. and, you know, it, it's challenging. I, I look at these things now probably a little bit more like a chief than anything, but, you know, promotional tests are really expensive and, and the, the most expensive part of it is the people out doing the work and we're paying overtime. And uh, so in scenarios are, are a lot, you know, you're, you're taking trucks and running them into uh, through scenarios and stuff, but, you can't replicate that, that, that live in-person uh, is, is I think the, the gold standard okay. because it's, it's really hard to fake it when you're in it. Right. 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 So 
ideally that would be the way to go for scenario-based training. Uh, so what we do, uh, we do a lot of our interaction, our, hu our human relations, leadership interaction stuff in person. Okay. Uh, because, you know, 90% of what a company officer does is not on the fire ground. That's right. It's, it's in the firehouse. Right, and, right. Uh, so we we really put a lot of emphasis on the management side, on on the the interacting with your your firefighters. Okay. So, uh, and then we do have video based or scenario based uh, training. We actually use a software company I think called Sims Sims We Share or Sims You Share or something like that, okay. and they do some really great um, like customizable scenarios. And so we'll run through a lot of those with our company officers. The good thing is we can actually get more sets and reps done in a shorter period of time for a lower amount of money. So we can put our people through those, those uh, evolutions uh, at a higher volume so we can get more evaluation of them. Uh, and, you know, I've seen people fail in the simulators and if they're going to fail in the simulators, they're not ready for the job. Right. So we're still checking the box and accomplishing the goal. I think, you know, to, we, we understand our people pretty well. And, and even when you have external evaluators coming in, they understand the expectation of the fire service. And it's hard to do that computer-based testing or simulated testing um, to smoke it and then really suck at your job when you get into right. It's right. probably not going to be that way. Uh, and we have so many other layers and verification components to our promotions that okay. that I think, you know, we're promoting good people. Um, but so <clears throat> this goes down another route, right, about is like VR and, uh, you know, virtual reality. Is mm -hmm. that an acceptable mode and method mm -hmm. of training? Um, I know those conversations are happening a lot right now at the national level, local okay. level. Um, and I don't know, I think, uh, I think we are put in positions where you, you really need to have the live sets and reps and training to, to be effective at your job, whether it's EMS, firefighting or personnel management. I think, um, nothing can replicate that, that live yeah. in-person stuff. So what do you guys do where you're at? Um, so for, so we have firefighters and then we have relief drivers and then we have engineers. So the engineer is technically the acting uh, officer when the captain's uh -huh. off. So if yep. you're going, they actually recently changed it. Uh, so I know if you're going for a relief driver, of course, there's a pumping scenario. And then they changed it where they have like little different stations where I think I heard one guy who just took it said the, they present you a chainsaw. They have you take it apart and put it back together. And then uh, there's like a couple other things, kind of like, I don't want to say JPRs, but kind of like JPRs okay. and they, and they yeah. grade you. And as yeah. you move up to engineer, you have a pumping scenario and then they give you an officer scenario where you're riding a seat and you're, you're responding to a structure fire and then they'll throw little surprises at you here and there. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure uh you have some sort of presentation that you have to do on a topic okay. uh and then as you move up off for captain it's uh a fire problem and then 
they make you actually ride the battalion car yeah. and you have to do your sets and reps as yeah. a battalion chief and some sort of uh, communication problem or something like that. So yeah. That's I, awesome. I, I feel like, like the hands-on is where it's at, you know I mean? Yeah, yeah you, you sure. have to do your simulation, but if you, if you can't do the simulation, you're probably not going to do the hands-on well, like you said. Right. So, right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It sounds like it's a real, you know, every, every jurisdiction or every area locality does a, a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you guys have put a lot of thought and energy into it. And that's the whole point, right? Is that make it, make it fair, make it consistent. And that's, that's the one thing that's hard about real life training is what if so-and-so goes left instead of right. And you didn't plan on that when you were putting the training together, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Stop right. it. Right. Like, so now you have a tainted promotional process because you're like, no, no, you got to go this way. It, you, I, who, you know, that's the one benefit to having right. a structured in simulation right. is that you're in more control. And for all of the participants, it's consistent and fair. And yeah. so I think, but what you're saying is preloaded training, right? That preloaded uh, knowledge and, uh, you know, the KSAs and that's important. Um the so when you get to the test you're gonna you're gonna be great you're gonna promote because you you did all the the preloaded you know knowledge skills and abilities man that's it okay all right uh and a personal uh it's it's personal at heart for you your work ethic and personal standards yeah so the um i i i travel and uh speak i'm you know do some keynotes and um, do a lot of leadership training, and I talk a lot about your gas tank. Okay, so um, the the gas tank principle that I talk about is your GAS. Your gas tank is GAS. Your give a shit. You have to have a full tank of gas when you come to work, right? Mm-hmm. And I, when I give this class, it's usually to captains, battalion chiefs. Um, even private sector business owners, right? Like I've talked with real estate groups and, and finance folks and about their their gas tank coming in as a leader, as someone who is responsible for taking care of other people, right? So the uh, I have a, a I have stickers and stuff like that on my my website, but you can. Uh, actually helmet stickers that I give out when I do these leadership talks, I give it to the, the chiefs and captains. I'm like, Hey, put this on your, the under brim of your helmet. And every day you better ask yourself, is my, is my gas tank full today? Do I have, do, do I give a shit today? Mm-hmm. Am I here to give everything I have to my people and to my customers? That's what this is all about. So, and if not, we need to fill your tank up. If we were driving down the road right now, Danny and, and we got a hundred miles to go and my gas light turns on, I got 40 or 50 miles left and I floor it and you're with me. You're going to be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to get where we need to go, man. You got to refill your tank. That's right. the same thing every day you're riding the truck and every day you're on the BC ride every day you're in the office making policy decisions. It's as leaders in the fire service, we have to, we have to make sure that our that we refill our tank when it's low, that we're paying attention to that light, that trigger that comes on when you know you're low. Mm-hmm. That, 
and and identifying whatever refills your tank is critical that that wellness discussion that we're having a lot right now in the fire service um and and a lot of that just requires you to be self-aware and a little bit vulnerable that's okay and say man i I need to go hang out with my kids. Like, you know, they'll fill my tank up. You know, I need to go for a walk with my dog. I need to go into the gym for an hour and, and, you know, throw down like who, whatever it takes for you, you have to fill that tank up. Right. And as leaders, whether you're a backseat firefighter, uh, but you're the senior, senior firefighter, even if you're a probationary firefighter coming up and you are the support for your people, it doesn't matter your rank, but, uh, sometimes you're going to have to fill up other people's tanks, right? And check in on them um, and make sure that, you know, your folks are doing good. So there's, uh, I had this I care model that I talked about, about filling your tank first so you can fill other people's tanks, right? And it's okay. the, the I care model is um, to be interested, informed, involved, and inspired. And so all of us, that's how we fill our tanks. We have to care about ourselves. We have to care um, about our own wellness uh, and and be interested in, or, uh, yeah, interested in something, informed about it, involved mm -hmm. in it, and inspired by it. And when you do that for yourself, uh, you're you're in yeah, you got a full tank. You're ready, ready to work, ready to go. Uh, and then you have to do that for other people too. And that's what the fire service is all about is taking care of each other so we can take care of our communities. I, I always say, it's not about me. It's about we, and we are here for them. Right. That's, that's critical. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, so that's when I get down to work ethic, when I talk about um, self-discipline, personal standards, professional standards, I boil it all down to your gas tank. And have you ever heard somebody at the station say, Oh, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. And you're like, okay, then you're, 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 you know, dismissing yourself from the topic or the conversation. And I'm sure you have heard somebody at the station say, man, I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's, I don't care times a hundred. Right. Right. Like they're literally telling you, I have no gas in my tank. That's a, you go get them. You wouldn't drive past them on the road while they're sitting there stranded without gas, right? Like go get them and say, what's going on? What do you need? Uh, because they're, and I know it's a, it's just a, a few words, mm -hmm. but they're telling you a lot, right? Right. right. Um, you're married, right? Mm -hmm. When, when you tell your wife, I don't care that usually she's hearing <laughs> I don't care about you. I don't care about this problem. I don't care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Right. Yeah. So, and if you took it to the next level and, sh and you're saying, I don't give a shit, like, man, if we break it down to the gas tank principle, you're literally saying like, I've got no energy, mm -hmm. no care, no interest. I'm, I don't want to be involved in this. I'm not inspired by this. You're, you're showing the people around you, whether it's your wife, your peers, your, you know, the people in the fire service, you're, you're showing them or telling them you're not in this. So um, it's, it's important for us one, you know, first start with yourself, fill your exactly. tank. Exactly. And then, uh, then you can do that for other people. So. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's my and that might be fitness, that might be education, that might be all these other things. But right, uh, you got to take care of yourself. You got to fill your tank so that wow. you can do it for everybody else. I just like the fact that you know you you, you everything comes down to standards, and to me that is just that is the one thing fire departments must have they must yes. abide by standards and you yes. shouldn't lower the standard you should no. have the standard across the board is why it's yes. called standards yes. and some people might disagree some people might not like it but at the end of the day most firemen want to know the line the threshold that they need to be at yes you know we, we, it yes. doesn't it shouldn't be a game of well this person can have this one but this person doesn't have you know that just that yeah. throws off the axis of the fire department yeah. and makes it terrible. Yeah, Danny. So I, I did a keynote this this last year and said um, we were talking about standards. I was talking about culture in the fire service. I break culture down between traditions and behaviors because a lot of people are like the fire service culture needs to change. And I'm, I'm saying, well, some of it could be improved. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we've got some of the best traditions in the world, you know, hundreds of years of standards mm-hmm. right of a personal commitment to excellence to provide a service to those who in need that's fantastic we have some really screwed up behaviors though we have some behaviors that should not be accepted or tolerated we need to address that those are standards too so the um the thing is we all individually need and have a responsibility to in, interact and and then interrupt those low standards, those poor standards. Because if you permit it, you promote it. And if you allow it to happen, that's the new standard. Every single time. I don't care what it is. As soon as you go, "Mm, I don't want to deal with that, or I'm going to let that one slide, everyone else in the department knows that's that's our new line. That's our new standard. We just lowered it. And, and you know how hard it is to go back up? <laughs> like, it's a lot harder to go back up than it is to just keep it where it's at. Mm-hmm. Something else that drives me nuts in the fire service. And, and it's semantics. It's just a word. But I hate that we call, I don't know if you guys do this, but but we have uh, minimum company standards. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. I hate the word minimum. Why are we calling it minimum? <laughs> yes. Why don't we just say we have company standards training today? Uh-huh. Because what that's telling us is you just have to do yep. enough to hit this line, which is actually the minimum. Uh-huh. I hate that. Like, yeah. so in our, our area, we throw our air packs and 35 seconds is our, that's our time. You have to have your air pack on in 35 seconds. And when, when folks hit 34, do you think they keep going? Nope. No, no, I, I, I'm done. I passed. I met the standard. Well, why don't we say, uh, and I don't, we don't need to call it anything, but like that's the acceptable standard line, but are you doing your best to be an expert in your craft? Are you pushing yourself? Cause for me, 34, I'm, I need time to fumble through something, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm shooting for 25 so that I got 10 seconds to screw stuff up. Right. right. Like, or, right. Or to go around and talk crap to everybody that's still going. Right. So, right. Um, the, yeah, the I don't know. We that's all personal standards. That's all personal excellence, you know. So 
I think it goes back to the gas tank conversation. I think um, it's about taking your your job serious, being, uh, you know, having standards and then trying to exceed them, meet them at, at least, but exceed them if you can. Absolutely. Uh, hands down. Uh, yes. Facts. All factual statements that you said. It, you know, it's it's one of those things. It drives you crazy. It drives me crazy. It's like we need to just get rid of that word. But um, yes, uh, perfect. Per- perfect way. Perfect way uh, to, to, to state that. Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, yeah, uh, th- oh, this is what I call the shameless plug. Go oh, how, how, how they go about it. Yeah, so I uh, you can get me on uh, LinkedIn for sure, uh, Kane Nixon. Um, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Chief Nixon, and uh, my website's just KaneNixon.com. And I've got uh, you. I you know I like I said I go around and I, I do trainings and speak. If uh, that's what you you know you or the, the fire departments are looking for, um, if if you just want to chat and and you know go back and forth and talk talk shop, I'm I'm always game for that too. So you can get me on you know kingnixon.com, uh, Instagram at uh, Dr. Chief Nixon, or or like I said, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit too. So awesome. Well, Chief, I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk shop with me. Uh, Absolutely, man. Thank you for the opportunity, Danny. I love what you're doing here. This is awesome stuff. And I love that you are, you're dipping into every uh, rank, every, every, you know, category of experience. Mm -hmm. You're doing, you know, professional combination, volunteer. I, I love it. So keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing good things. Appreciate it. I really do because it's very hard to get, when I get into your ranks, I usually like the uh, somebody open the door. I'll say when I do it, and the door closes because it's like, nope, we're not, we're not getting involved in this. But yeah, I appreciate yeah. you being as high as you are to uh, to come on and talk shop. So thank you very Absolutely, much. Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, sir. It was a great conversation. Yeah, you got it. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.